Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Straight up, Mack Weldon is more comfortable than whatever it is you're wearing right now. They are a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I love Mack Weldon so much. They sponsored the show a couple years ago, and I, I got some stuff, and I've continued to buy their stuff. I'm wearing their stuff right now, their underwear. They have amazing shorts. They have amazing sort of like joggers. I love them so much, okay? There is no reason that you should not try this out. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order by using the promo code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, 20% off. This stuff is the best, most comfortable, straight up, okay? Just do it right now. WORDS, 20% off, MacWeldon.com, okay? There you go. Now with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I hope your summer is treating you magnificently well. Mine is going good. I'm actually in Las Vegas right now doing a little uh, little anniversary getaway with the wife, and that's, uh, that's fun. I always like that. And you are here to listen to people talking about independent music and how they came up and how it influenced their life in a really positive, major way. And I have an absolute lifer here. Today is Mike Hill from the band Tombs. He also played in a band called Anodyne. He also hosts an awesome show called Everything Went Black. When I say show, I mean podcast. Sometimes I just call them shows because I find myself uh, you know, listening to podcasts as a uh, primary uh, medium in my life, even more so than TV, movies, et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, uh, Mike Hill, just a great dude, and I'll tell you more on him in a moment. Let's, uh, let's talk about rockabilia.com. They have Tombs merch. They have merch from all of your favorite bands and bands that you have yet to discover. You will get 15% off if you use this code, PCJabberJob. Please use that code. It gets you essentially free shipping plus you know a couple bucks off whatever thing you're ordering. They have over half a million items there that you can order and consume, and they will ship it to you very quickly. Great customer service, co-owned by a hardcore and punk kid. This is the real deal, okay? Like you've you've ordered band merch from other places, but this is the best in my opinion. So there you go. Please visit rockabilly.com and get 15% off by using PC Jabberjaw. What else do I got to tell you? I got to tell you that uh, I'm going to be endeavoring on a new little uh, podcast venture in the, in the next uh, couple of weeks or so, kind of building the, uh, the idea up now. Uh, so be prepared. You will get another show on this feed in the next couple of weeks or maybe month or so. And uh, it's just a little experiment that I'm doing because, you know, I mean, I've been doing this now for 300 some odd episodes and I uh, have ideas for other things that I want to bring to the world. And uh, yeah, so just just a little tease. OK, I don't want to give the idea away too much. But, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you might put two and two together there. <laughs> and uh, if you have ideas, if you have guest ideas or you just want to converse, email me 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I really do love hearing from you with the individual that is consuming this thing uh, because I've been able to create some awesome relationships from that. And uh, I appreciate those of you that listen. So uh, it's definitely not one of those things where it's like, oh, you email me and then like in three weeks you'll hear from me. It's like, no, I'm, I'm generally on top of my emails. <laughs> so sometimes to a punishing degree where people are like, dude, is that all you do is just email all day? I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of my job. But also, um, yeah, just stay on top of it. So Mike Hill, uh, this came about because, so I, I met him years ago. You'll, you'll hear us talk about that at the top of the episode, but, uh, one of my coworkers in my, uh, my day gig is, uh, friends with him and like childhood friends with him. And she, you know, once she started to get to know me and understood that I was into, you know, some weird music, <laughs> she was like, Hey, have you ever heard a band called tombs? And I was like, wait, do you know, Mike Hill? 
So it was just really funny. And so she was like, you know what? I think he would be a great guest. I'm like, you know what? He would be a great guest because uh, he's an extremely intelligent dude, uh, very intense, but not in a uh, off-putting way. And uh, we just, we chopped it up, man. It was very, very fun uh, from a person who uh, I, I look up to. He's been doing the creative life for quite some time. And I, I always enjoy people that have dedicated their life to that because yeah, essentially I've, I've done the same thing and I'm, I'm doing the same thing. So here, uh, here we are. You, uh, you enjoy this, this convo and I will go back to, uh, to my vacation with my wife. So she's not just staring at me being like, why are you recording this intro? We should go out by the pool. <laughs> All right. I will talk to you here in a little bit. actually like met like hand shook in person i think we may have played a show together but i I, i'm you know you're definitely one of those people that i've always been aware of their music but like i don't think we've actually intersected per se i think you're right i think the bulk of our relationship has been done by email actually because when you were at abacus that's when i remember us being in touch the most yeah exactly okay that's what i thought too it's like i think yeah i just remember (laughs) and it's like I'm sure you experience this constantly with people where you're like, oh, yeah, like I, I know them, but I don't know them technically from like a, a handshake beyond like, oh, maybe I played a show with them or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially in, in the you know the world that we operate in, being in bands and, you know, with social media, you stay in touch with people that are familiar with your music or whatever output you have. And, uh, you know, actually, it's it could be like several years worth of this rich online relationship you might have with somebody that you've never actually met face to face. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's really um, I mean, in the same way that people experienced from a you know pen pal perspective it's like you know this is just a different medium in which people are are quickly communicating but it you know there is that same sort of connectivity that you feel when you're just like oh yeah batting emails back and forth with the person oh yeah i actually used to be a one of those maximum rock and roll uh, pen pals like back in the day like you know what 30 years ago at this point right um i had a couple of different pen pals i wrote to regularly yeah, I, I, I find that so uh, cool just because especially, too, when you are kind of the, um, you know, correspondent for a, a particular subset of a scene or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like the, you know, outside New York reporter or whatever. Like when people just want <laughs> yeah. to know about like, hey, is anything happening there? It's like, well, no, not in my city. But like, you know, I know I know these rad bands from this area. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but something that is like just so constant in what people observe of you and um you know you could probably survey like 40 people that know you and everyone uh that i know and everyone that has like you know interviewed you everyone always mentions like oh like mike's a really driven guy (laughs) like you know always always really focused like you know the the work ethic is there and um you know that that is pretty evident in the music that you've created in the bands you've played in but, you know, have you ever kind of, uh, I guess, stepped back and sort of distilled where that kind of, you know, drive comes from? Like, is that just sort of internal or is that something that, you know, you kind of inherited via uh, a few different people or where does it come from? Well, that's actually a really good question because, uh, I mean, I, when I was younger growing up in a very regular suburban upbringing, uh, you know, my parents were, I would say, you know, strong middle class, uh, you know, like my, my there's that there's always been that blue collar like work ethic of you know getting up early in the morning grabbing your lunch pail heading off to your job and putting in your shift you know that was something that was instilled in me early on like through various hard labor jobs i had when i was growing up and then you know through my 20s when i started really getting into music it was more out of this this kind of like emotional hole that i had in my life and uh just looking to fill it with, with stuff like creative endeavors. And as I approach middle age, it's uh, probably more to do with seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and realizing that like most of my life is over with. And um, if I have these goals I want to do, I better uh, 
strap it on and, and start getting things done, you know? And that's kind of like where a lot of that stuff comes from, I guess, in the last, like, say, 10 years, I would say. That's cool. I like that, how you described the, you know, the evolution, because, yeah, there definitely does seem, um, you know, p- people have a drive and like most people would consider it consistent throughout their lives. But it, the motives behind it can change as, you know, your life alters. And sometimes people don't recognize that. Yeah. And also there's this sense of, of being done with stuff, which I don't really like. Um, there's a movie called Fight Club that I've, I've always, you know, more so than Chuck Palahniuk's book. The David Fincher film is something that I always reference where uh, Tyler Durden's talking about never being complete and sort of have always to be to die with an unfinished work, you know, some so paraphrasing, basically. But that's that's something that I try to like keep, you know, something I, I kind of live by that. It's like I always want to have like another thing that I'm working on or, you know, when I drop dead someday in some one room apartment in the middle of nowhere. I want there to be something that I haven't finished yet that's, you know, halfway done or something. Like, I never want to be done with anything. I always want to keep moving forward. And I guess that's kind of the things that keep you alive is always having that next morning to look forward to with something that you can actually do and compelled you to wake up and get out of bed. Totally. I think that, you know, so many people that uh, kind of are consumed by, you know, our subculture and creating art and, you know, whatever that may mean. I think a lot of people that, you know, kind of fall into the quote unquote normal category are the people that, you know, that, that kind of abandon those things, you know, and it can be anything, you know, from whatever, playing golf to collecting stamps, like doesn't matter. But like once those kind of that, that drive falls to the wayside, that's when, you know, you get, get locked in a pattern that, it, you know, just becomes like so uh, boring, but in a bad, you know, in a bad way, because it can be, bo- you know, you can be boring in a good way and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm stable. Like, that's fine. <laughs> But, but yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely not criticizing someone who has a stable lifestyle because there's something very sweet about that, too. And, uh, you know, it's I'm not on the other end of that. Like, I don't think that, you know, everyone should be living their life like, you know, at some breakneck speed somewhere. But it's like, you know, if you're if you're happy, I guess that's the at the end of the day, if, if you're content with what you're doing, then that's probably the most important thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, focusing more on you as an individual, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're born, born and raised just outside of, uh, you know, Manhattan in, you know, like you've mentioned a, you know, stable home life, like mom and dad, are, are you an only child? I am an only child. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I knew I could smell it on you. I, I'm an only child. <laughs> I knew I'm an only child myself. So like, I think we could sniff each other out, but, sure. uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, something that I, I always kind of reflect on with this, you know, particular, basically aggressive music in general, um, you know, people that come from, uh, a life that, you know, you and I have as far I, I identify with a, you know, stable home. And even though my parents were divorced at an early age, like, you know, like I lived a, you know, pretty privileged life from that perspective. But then a lot of people point to the, you know, the, the tortured artist scenario of like, you have to come from, you know, turmoil and strife in order to be able to create like, you know, real art or whatever. Um, you know, how does that kind of uh, notion sort of sit in your head just because, you know, obviously you haven't come exactly from that. I mean, we have our own turmoil and strife in other areas, but, um, you know, I'm sure that that's been kind of tossed around in your head where it's just like, oh, like, does that does that compute with you or is that something you wholeheartedly reject or where does it sit? I think you, you kind of answered your own question, really. It's in some ways. Um, I mean, everyone experiences the world in a very specific, unique way. And even though, uh, you know, I wasn't born in a cave somewhere having to like, you know, eke out some existence, uh, eating roots and, you know, killing game and stuff like that. I still think that there's individual struggles that we all go through and that is reflected in our creative output, you know? And I think that just because I'm from the suburbs doesn't mean I, I can't feel pain or whatever, you know what I mean? It's, there's emotional pain that people just deal with that from all walks of life. I mean, even some of the, some of the people that I know that are successful financially, they, they also have like emotional hangups and things that make them unhappy and, you know, darkness and all this other stuff that is something that I personally can't relate to because I don't understand their experience, just like they might not be able to understand my experience, but it's still a very real component and uh, driving factor in, you know, what makes people, you know, what makes people's machine work, you know, in a way that 
distress in my life or this emotional pain creates this disharmony. And some people choose to deal with that disharmony either self-destructively by going into like, you know, self-destructive behavior, you know, be it alcoholism or, you know, promiscuity or using drugs or whatever. Or you can pick up a pen or an instrument or go on your computer or write, you know, create music, do art, whatever. And that's sort of at the heart. That's the kind of objective way of looking at this whole thing. Yeah, definitely. It's like the the inspiration doesn't have to be um, born out of the you know archetype of someone who's you know living fast, dying young, or whatever. It's like you know inspiration can be derived from any human experience, you know, positive and negative. And you know, I think the people. I mean, there is something that is you know when you're young that's appealing of that person who's like, oh man, they're living life by their own rules or whatever. But like you know, as you get just even a little bit older, it's like, well, I don't have to like be completely like self-abusive in order to like create something you know yeah i mean look at i mean just not to get off on this tangent but look at all these like school shootings that are going on i mean these are all you know middle class people um i mean there's definitely a you know like a pharmaceutical aspect to this too which is like a whole other discussion about you know antidepressants and whatever but but there's definitely a thing going on in that sort of middle class world that's making people very unhappy at a very young age. And once again, going back to the negative expression of that, you know, these people are going crazy killing each other, you know. So there's definitely something there. It's not just, you know, what you were saying is the archetypical um, idea of struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, everyone finds their... Uh everyone hopefully is just able to find their outlet and how to harness that kind of, um, you know, whether that energy, you know, hopefully in a positive light, um, rather than, you know, the ways that we've been examining it from a culture. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that has to be, there's not just one silver bullet solution for it. It's like, yeah, it needs to be maintained and, and observed from all different walks of life. But, um, so kind of like you mentioned, you're, um, you know, this, this, this kind of, uh, you pick up your, your lunch pail and head out to work like that. Um, you know, that, that really kind of resonated with you. Um, like, were you, uh, I guess, were you kind of interested in the fact that, um, you know, like, were you interested in your dad's job? Was there, were there things that were kind of like, Oh, like that, that's something I could see myself, you know, doing, or did you have can you, any idea of like what you wanted to, you know, be when you grow up or whatever? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my parents and my dad in particular were a very, very heavy influence on some of the decisions I made educationally and professionally in my early life. I mean, you know, I went to school for mechanical engineering and my dad, though he wasn't an engineer, uh, worked sort of, you know, with boilers and, you know, construction and that kind of stuff. So, so that avenue seemed to be something that would be uh, consistent with uh, the ideologies that we had in this kind of working class like world of trying to do better, trying to have fine security and, and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I went to college for, for engineering and that probably in some ways is, was a huge mistake for me because I was never really that good at math, you know? <laughs> and, sure. and I don't know if any of you guys out there know, but you need a lot of that to do engineering work. And, uh, <laughs> yes. That so, is, that's a crucial component. I, I love the kids like that. Uh, you know, they're, uh, my, I mean, my family, like my wife and my uh, mother, you know, are teachers, English school teachers. And so like, I've existed around that world for a long time. And I love kids that are just like, oh man, like I, I love science. And it's like, oh cool. Like, what do you want to do with that? And you know, they name some field and it's like, uh, like, so, you know, how are your math grades? Oh, I'm getting F's. And it's like, what? Yeah, you, you got to kind of pay attention to that, too. I know, man, that's you know, I mean, I'm not saying I was terrible, but I wasn't like like I wasn't about mathematics the way some of these other kids were. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I was like an average student, whatever. But I think that, you know, that kind of like got me off on this foot of maybe doing the wrong sort of career paths earlier on in my life. And, uh, you know, but then again, the other side of that is I learned a lot of great things, like as far as like problem solving abilities and staying organized and you know the first job i got out of college i had to do all this travel and you know sort of living on the road i guess was uh one of the things i learned about that in which i carried forth into my uh life as a traveling touring musician you know oh yeah away luggage is the best they offer high quality pieces that are designed to be resilient resourceful and essential to the way you travel so 
I, I really can't tell you why you need to order this more than the fact that I own multiple pieces of away luggage. It serves purposes for road trips, for long trips. My whole family has ordered them. Friends have ordered them. You are a friend of the show, so you need to get on this. So they have a ton of colors and four sizes, including carry-on, and it's they're compliant with all U.S. airlines. It's lightweight, made with premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. And it's a TSA, it has a TSA-improved combination lock for 360-degree spinner wheels and a patent-pending compression system to help us overpackers. Like I said, this suitcase is an absolute lifesaver, game-changer, whatever adjective you want to put in there. Um, the colors are awesome. I have a black one myself. My wife has a pink one. My parents have burgundy ones. This, I, I, you have to have it if you've ever traveled. If you're a touring band, this is like the perfect suitcase for you. you just throw away that stupid duffel bag, order this, and you will your your life will be changed. They have a hundred day guarantee that if you don't like it for whatever reason, just return it for a full refund. Shipping is free within the lower forty eight states, and plus they have a lifetime warranty that if anything breaks, they will fix it, so you have nothing to lose. Please twenty dollars off. I will give you by visiting awaytravel.com/words and use the promo code words during checkout. That's awaytravel.com/words promo code words. W-O-R-D-S for $20 off your away suitcase. I love this stuff. Please go try it. Nothing to lose. Okay. Now on with the show. Like, did you like school? You know, I mean, like you said, you, you, you know, you applied yourself to get okay grades, but you know, did you enjoy kind of the, the, you know, academic process? No, not really. Actually. I, I, I didn't, I can't say that I actually enjoyed the, um, the subject itself. Um, you know, I like, the satisfaction of completing something was there and the sort of struggle to get through it, which is, um, you know, something that I, I'm one of the, I guess in a masochistic way, I enjoy that. Like I, you know, I used to wrestle and, you know, into combat sports and all that sort of stuff. And something that's hard always felt like worthwhile to me. So that rigor that was required to get through a, a course schedule like that, and being able to get to the other side of that was definitely an appeal to me. But looking back in retrospect, I probably should have been like, uh, you know, communications major or someone who went into like, you know, humanities or something like that or, you know, philosophy. So sure. Yeah, that that was that actually leads into another thing that I was going to, you know, casually observe about you where um, you uh, and this can kind of be pointed to the you know whole only child scenario where, um, you know, you seem like a person that is, uh, you know, content with, with solitude. And I know many people will find some level of comfort with that, but, you know, I definitely think that there is an angle in which, you know, us only children can be like, oh yeah, man, I can hang out for like hours without talking to somebody and that's totally fine. Whereas some people can hang out for like 20 minutes and it's like, all right, where, where, where do I go? Um, was that kind of always the case for you or is that a complete mischaracterization? No, that was definitely the case for most of my life, I think, um, you know, where I think out of just not being comfortable around people initially, because, uh, you know, I never, as you know, not having brothers and sisters, uh, you don't get socialized the same way as somebody who has like an older brother or even a younger brother or sister or whatever. So, you know, you're blazing the trail on your own, like when you. You go to school, there's no, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so's brother, he's okay, or this is so-and-so's brother, you know, beat his ass or whatever, you know. Right. So you're always this kind of, like, lone wolf, like, walking into these situations. And, uh, you know, growing up can be rough, you know. Everyone's trying to figure out where they fit within the uh, the sort of hierarchy. You know, it's like this very primate sort of behavior that children have, you know what I mean? Yep. And, and that was... Um, yeah, I guess becoming comfortable with that sort of vibe is is the way I sort of lived most of my life. But I think in the more recent years, I've grown to sort of appreciate like camaraderie with people who um, are you know similar thinkers. You know what I mean? It's like you know in the last several years, I think it's important to you can't you can't exist on your own really. I mean, I think that's what I'm getting at. You have to be able to cohabitate with other people. And I find that I'm a lot happier when I have these measured interactions with people as opposed to, you know, I don't want to be around people all the time, but like when you have like a measured sort of interaction with, with uh, groups of people that 
share the same sort of ideas that you do. And um, I find that to be very, uh, you know, satisfying. You know, I'm still not going out to like the clubs or anything and hanging out with random people. But like when people are like similar enough where we have common ground, I find that to be like satisfying. Sure. Yeah. It's comforting to, you know, find your little pockets and, and find the similar interests and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that, and, and that does, like you said, kind of come out of just, you know, the sheer exposure to other people. And, um, I do like the, I, I always kind of reflect on the, the, you know, kid, young adults experience of you, you know, especially as you're getting into, you know, music, you don't have anybody to tell you like what's cool or not cool. Like it's just this pastiche of things you're pulling together. It's like, Oh, that person said that that band's kind of cool. So I'll check that out. But then like, you know, you might end up like writing hard for a band that most other people are like, Dude, that, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like that record is terrible. What are you talking about? You're like, well, I liked it. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely, man. I've been, I've, I've, I've several of those. Definitely. <laughs> what, can you give an example? Cause I love, I love these, uh, you know, the, these records that people have this like emotional attachment to because they got into it. Um, you know, devoid of context. Do you have a, do you have oh, a- yeah, man. Uh, crocus one vice at a time. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, yeah, that's like a band. I was, you know, really into Crocus when I was a kid. And, uh, and I still like them, man. I still think that they're pretty good for, you know, like a, a sort of heavy metal, like transitional band. And, uh, I do a radio show for Gimme Radio and I actually included a couple of tracks by them over the last couple of episodes. And so people were, people responded to it. They're like, oh man, Crocus. I'm like, fuck, I love them. And I'm like, yeah, you're like one of the five people that like Crocus. You know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. You're like, I, now, now I have a 10th member of the Crocus fan club that still exists in 2018. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and like a lot of stuff from that era, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, some docking records I think are kind of cool. I mean, that, that's not very unusual. I mean, a lot of people like them. But just in, in, in light of what I think, like, I actually, when I fully realized what I appreciated about music, it's funny that those bands are still part of, like, you know, the kind of uh, catalog of music that I go to. Cause I do listen to them. I, you know, I listen to in my dreams by docking, like that pops up here and there. I find like a desire to listen to those records every now and then. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. I, 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 I love the, and I don't, uh, I don't ask you that question to, uh, you know, quote unquote embarrass you, but I do, I, I just love those, those touchdowns that people have that are, are left of center because I mean, most people will be like, Oh yeah. You know, do you like the dead Kennedy or whatever? Like all this, sort yeah. of, you know, I mean, very people, very few people are going to like ride hard against a band. It's like, oh yeah, the Misfits, like you know, terrible. Never listen to them. <laughs> I mean, okay, I guess, but like, you know, but the, it's those little those those bands that fall not in the starter kit that are I always find interesting. But well, what's really funny though is like with band, like I, I quite like the Go Go's too. I mean, actually, the Go Go's were one of the reasons why I started playing music because I saw them on like USA Night Flight and. I remember being like, oh, wow, man, this is like, this is pretty cool. Music seems pretty interesting, you know, pretty, pretty cool, but very easy to play. And I'm like, maybe I'll start playing music because this seems like easier to play than like, you know, Led Zeppelin or something, you know. And uh, it turns out that the Go-Go's were actually like a legit part of like that late 70s um, Hollywood, you know, scene. Like played at The Mask and all that other stuff. And then when they got really popular and they were kind of written out of the history books. You know, it's kind of, kind of a weird thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is weird. Um, and so I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, hit on a lot of points that, you know, you've, you've kind of discussed in other interviews, but, um, the, uh, you know, when you first got exposed to, you know, punk and hardcore, um, and what kind of, you know, initially attracted you to it? Um, you know, was it, was it, I guess, kind of the aggressive nature or was it just something that like you couldn't put your finger on? Um, what kind of, I guess, flip your, your, the switch in your head. Well, you know, like most other people, I was approaching those teenage years, you know, and uh, your, your body's going nuts with, uh, you know, hormones and you're feeling all these feelings that you don't understand necessarily. And suddenly, you know, girls are starting to look different than they did two years ago. And you're looking even weirder, you know, like you're in that awkward phase of your life where you kind of look like a mutant and you feel like a mutant, you know what I mean? So, Socially, I guess, um, you know, I played sports, but I wasn't a jock per se, you know, so I doesn't socially didn't really fit in with those guys. You know, I wasn't like a burnout, you know, like weed smoking sort of guy. And then there was like a small group of people that were like, it's a cool stuff that like this music. 
and I gravitated towards them. And they, you know, turned me on to this other stuff like the Ramones, uh, Bad Brains, Dead Kennedys. Um, and I was like, wow, this is like exactly how I feel. You know, this is, I feel, I feel the lyrics. I feel the intensity of the music. Um, you know, the stuff that they're writing about in their lyrics were, were hit me like right in the heart, you know? And then I heard Black Flag, which is like changed my entire world of perception of what music can be. Because when I first started Black Flag, I was like, I don't even know if I like this, man. Is this even music? Like I was listening to, you know, the later Rollins era stuff is what I found out first. I found out, found that music first. And part of it was like, man, this is like fast Black Sabbath or I couldn't, it was like, had a metal vibe to it, but it was not metal. And there's some really intense guys singing and the lyrics like Black Coffee were like, you know, something that I could totally relate to and, um, you know, wound up like all those classics. And it was like, yeah, when you're 14 years old, you're wound up like all the time. And uh, especially if you don't fit the mold of like the other people socially, because, you know, this is the eighties and no one liked punk rock music back then. You know, bands like Ario Speedwagon were huge, you know, that high infidelity record was, uh, that was the one that was making the rounds during that period of time. And, uh, and I just couldn't relate to that stuff. And I couldn't relate to the people that liked that stuff. And um, the only other alternative was to go into this other subterranean world that actually offered something to me that would sort of enrich me. And that's how I sort of, you know, got into to punk rock music. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's really cool when you can you know, when you get older and then you have the perspective on, you know, being able to kind of describe, you know, and not like, you know, revisionist history, but you can kind of point out where it's like, oh yeah, I like, I didn't have a, you know, a word for it back then, but like now I can really kind of <laughs> dive into what was, what was attractive about it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as you, uh, as you started to dive, you know, deeper into it, as far as, you know, metal and punk and hardcore and you were, you know, bringing this stuff all home, um, you know, it, it seems like your your parents were um, okay with you kind of experimenting with the stuff, but you know, how did they? <laughs> were they just like, oh, our our sweet Mike is bringing home some weird stuff? Like, how did they react to it? Oh yeah, I mean, to my parents' credit, they definitely were very permissive about a lot of stuff. However, there are things that I definitely snuck in, like for example, uh, Black Flag slipping in, like that album cover will make any parent in the 1980s uh, upset. You know, the, the nun, the nude man's leg, and slip it in. Just that title's confrontational, you know? I mean, the art of Raymond Pettibone is, like, confrontational in general. You know? Totally, totally. Um, so that, you know, I was still listening to, like, you know, a lot of heavy rock music. So if I went out, took my allowance, I went to the record store, and I got, like, like a Motorhead record and a Black Flag record, I'd make sure the Motorhead album was on top of the pile so that the more subversive stuff was kind of obscured beneath that. You know what I mean? Sure. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what, what I think the thing about my parents is like right around this time, I was starting to play music myself. I was starting to play guitar and rather than have me roam in the streets, like some wild kid, you know, feral kid, they knew where I was because I would be in the basement playing guitar, listening to music. I'd have some of these same kids that I described earlier come over to the house and, you know, we'd have a little band practice or whatever. And we try to make, you know, write songs and just the sort of rudimentary beginnings of, uh, of being, you know, in a band was like sort of born through this era. And I think my parents were stoked that like, I wasn't out doing drugs or getting chicks pregnant or anything like that. And they knew that, I was so obsessed with music that they saw me, they saw me coming home practicing something, you know, having band practice in our basement and stuff like that. And they knew where I was. And I think that's one of the things that made them, yeah, it was comforting to know that I was doing something productive instead of like out there, you know, in this sort of living this unseen, like clandestine lifestyle, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, it's like the, you know, the age old saying, you know, I idle hands of the devil's workshop. And it's like, you know, I, I think generationally speaking, every parent can look at that where it's just like, you know, <laughs> back in pioneer times, it's like they put their kids to work because it's like, oh, yeah, like not only was that a necessity, but, you know, we don't want our kids, you know, falling in the river because they're, you know, bored or whatever. It's like, yeah, no, absolutely, man. There's a lot to be said for that. And I think that's why, like, 
kids have the pitfalls they do these days because we do live in like a more and more sedentary sort of lifestyle, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's the, uh, you know, extreme, uh, perspectives of it's like, oh yeah, so we got to get our kids into sports and, you know, make them active. But then there's that compulsion to be like, oh, well my kid's going to be the next, you know, insert name of famous athlete here. So I got to, you know, immerse them in this, this world. And it's like, oh, well, no, you don't need to do that. They can just like try it and <laughs> maybe that'll be okay. But yeah, I, I understand the, uh, the notion of what you're, you were, uh, experiencing of your parents be like, I know where Mike is like, that, that's cool. Like it's, I don't understand it, but it's cool. And that's why I like all the funny haircuts and, you know, hair dye and stupid clothes and, you know, parade of characters coming in and out of the house was okay with them. I think. <laughs> right. Totally. They're like, we'll get you guys some lemonade. Hopefully you guys like that. <laughs> Yeah. And the funniest thing about it, none of, none of us drank, which is really funny. Like, you know, we were, I wouldn't say we were embracing the straight edge lifestyle, but like none of us were into drinking. It was just like, we just were these dorks who liked music. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> totally. and it, it were, yeah, it wasn't like this, you know, we were, you know, like smoking, you know, meth or something like that in the basement and listening to Black Flag. It was like, just like a bunch of dorks like listening to music and trying to play guitars. Right, right, totally. Uh, unintentionally straight edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then, uh, you know, kind of kind of fast forwarding a little bit, where uh, you know you you know you you started playing in bands and you you know played music, obviously, uh, you know, in the uh, city that you were raised in. Uh, but then you know you moved to uh, Boston, and you know it seems like the you know, that's where you kind of really, you know, got your feet wet as far as, you know, playing in, in bands and being active in a, quote, yeah, definitely. in a scene and everything. Um, and then, you know, do, do you kind of like, do you reflect on that time, uh, fondly or is it kind of a, a mixture of like, Oh, there, you know, not like there are things that you would change from that perspective. Cause obviously it got you where you are now. Um, but you know, how, how do you kind of reflect on that time? No, they were good times, man. I, I actually finally look back on that time in Boston just because, you know, it was, it was, um, it's sort of like an exploration of doing different things. I mean, I, you know, I played a bunch of different people and kind of sort of figured out how I was going to do it as opposed to how other people did it, you know, and, and that's where, uh, I kind of really developed my sort of, uh, lunch pail, uh, show up for work put in the hours kind of like approach to playing in bands. It was, it all, it all came to, uh, to fruition there. It was, that was, if you were going to be in a band with me, it was like going to like wrestling practice, you know, like five days a week, you know, it was like we would get together at whatever time and put in the hours. And I think that debatably, (laughs) you know, the work kind of speaks for itself that I was able to, with the help of some other people accomplish quite a bit of stuff, like as far as creative output goes. Yeah, sure. And uh, something I, I always thought was, you know, cool about the musical world that you existed in where, you know, it, it could all be, you know, put under the banner of you know, independent music per se, but yeah. you know, you, you know, you played different styles of music and, you know, you were, you know, kind of, you, you know, you were friends with hardcore kids, metal kids, and, you know, you kind of existed in that world um, in, in where some ways, you know, I know people, especially when you are younger, kind of stick to a lane, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll be a, a hardcore kid. And like, that's kind of all like, I may listen to different music, but that's not going to be, um, you know, how I'm like <laughs> visually portraying myself. But like, it seems like you mix it up with a ton of people. Yeah, you know, definitely. And, um, like once again, that's just, you know, the sort of outsider loner only child, like world I came from where most of my time was spent just being by myself like when i moved to boston i knew like three people there if that so it was just me figuring stuff out and like this is like now we're in like the early 90s and there was like tons of great music uh happening that um yeah i just wanted to be like kind of like residing like over the top of everything i mean in a lot of ways punk was punk and hardcore were kind of in a lull in the early 90s really and uh more exciting stuff like what AMREP, AMREP was doing, like bands like the Melvins and Helmet and uh, Unsane, you know, and I was also into like industrial stuff like Fetus and, um, you know, Throbbing Gristle and Coil and all these weird bands that you sort of read about. And I just dove into that whole world, you know, and, uh, you know, still keeping in mind that 
socially, I was more connected to like the sort of hardcore punk metal world. And I guess like that really by incorporating all these things together sort of gave me like creative ammunition to do these different bands, you know? Casper Mattress is the best sleep brand. They continue to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They got three models, the original, the wave, and the essential, and their mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, their breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night, and it's delivered right to your door in a small, how the heck did they do that size box? And it's got free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. And the best part is that they have a 100-night guarantee, so you sleep on it. You have no risk involved whatsoever. After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should absolutely be comfortable. I have been sleeping on a Casper now for uh, almost two years, and anybody that asks me about it or is like looking for a recommendation, I'm like, dude, why are you even looking anywhere else? Casper is the only way to go. Once I got this, our sleeping game changed. I mean, I didn't have a problem sleeping before, but now like, I legit look forward. As I'm climbing in my bed, I'm like, oh man, I get to have that feeling again. Boom, get in, love it. Wife loves it. And uh, yeah, I've, I've evangelized many people onto getting on the Casper train because you will, uh, yeah, you'll just sleep better. This is, this is the best mattress I've ever had. So get $50 towards a select mattress by visiting casper.com slash words and using words at the checkout. That's casper.com slash words, offer code words for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions, of course, apply, but Casper is the best. Okay. Try it out. You'll love it. I always like when people who are attracted to independent music then start to bring in these outside influences that, you know, many other people don't kind of go down either because they stylistically don't like it or it just doesn't make sense. But it's cool because then you can bring this stuff and you're just like, yeah, you know, have you ever heard Unsane? And people are just like, well, no. But then, you know, they might not be into it, but then you can like sneak it into the music that you're writing and then people unintentionally, you know, they don't know. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, totally. That's just the way that Mike writes, you know? You know, what, what kind of validated all this, though, is like around 96 or 95 or whatever, bands like Dead Guy uh, started, you know, they, they became quite popular. Bands like Dead, Dead Guy, Bloodlet. And I, I heard Dead Guy for the first time, and I was like, man, this guy's got to be into like Today is the Day and Unsane and like all this stuff. And uh, sure enough, they were. It was, you know, dudes from Rorschach, which is another band that I was like very much into. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. That stuff kind of validated my interest in that music at least. Yeah, no, that's really, it is really cool when you, you're able to see that like, Oh yes. Like there are other people that are kind of on my wavelength and are trying to, you know, mix this cauldron of, you know, noise meets hardcore meets metalcore meets whatever, whatever else we're yeah. trying to do. <laughs> um, you know, and, and even, even guys like, you know, Tom Hazelmeyer, the guy who started Amrep. I mean, he, everyone that played that music was at one point into punk and hardcore. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, they were guys who were even a little bit older than I am that were like around in the 80s, like listening to the Necros and like negative approach and stuff like that. And then when they got to be like in their 20s, they started doing what, you know, like lubricated goat and like surgery and unsane and like all these, you know, halo of flies and all this other stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because it's not like. It's not like these, uh, you know, musicians that are doing really, you know, challenging, heavy, artistic music are born out of nothing. You know, <laughs> it's like there, yeah. has, there has to be a lineage, you know, you have to, yeah, you, definitely. you're not, you know, you're not 10 years old and like, you know, getting into throbbing gristle for the first time. It's like, no, you're there's 10 year olds. It probably wouldn't compute in their head, you know? Yeah. There has to be some context to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, kind of observing your trajectory of, you know, all the bands you've played in and, you know, you've, you, you've done a lot as far as like, you know, the music that you've put out and the tours that you put together and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, so how does your kind of relationship with the, uh, I guess the, the music business side of things reside? Because, you know, you've kind of been the person for a lot of your bands that all of that, those decision-making things kind of lie. Um, is that just kind of a, a necessary thing that you, uh, partake in or is that something that like you actually enjoy the kind of you know business logistics aspects of of the band life there that's kind of a twofold answer i have a twofold answer for this because like i love in, it in the days in the diy days I, you know i enjoyed that because it's like a very one-on-one 
sort of scenario where, you know, you're booking these tours and you're talking to other people and, you know, bands and different kids who do shows and, you know, record labels oftentimes, you know, you know, oftentimes people who are doing these DIY record labels are dudes in bands and, you know, like Aaron, Aaron Turner used to run a distro and book shows in, in New Mexico and then he started Hydrahead and, you know, it, it grows organically like that. You know, Greg Drudy from Level Plane, like he's in, you know, Stacia and Hot Cross and he built this record label and, you know, so forth, you know, stuff like that. So I really enjoyed it during that phase of things. And um, Tombs is a little bit of a different animal because, you know, we're on Metal Blade, which is like, you know, one of the biggest metal labels in the world, really. And, and uh, you know, along with like Century Media and, and you know, Nuclear Blast and stuff like that. So I, I actually have almost nothing to do with the business aspects of the band anymore. It's like, you know, we have a manager and a booking agent and, uh, you know, they handle a lot of that stuff. And I just kind of get an email or they run stuff by me. They're like, what are you are interested in this? What do you think of this? These are the pros and cons of doing this. So I just kind of sit around most of the time and like wait for a phone call or like an email and then I'm like, well, what's what's the pros and cons of doing things this way and sort of do these like qualitative you know decisions. And the only time like the logistics, the fun parts happen for me is like when we go on the road and I because I handle all that sort of stuff still like you know touring and getting from point A to point B and handling all the tour logistics is something that I still do that for the band, you know advancing shows and you know coordinating you know transportation and buying flights and all this other stuff is all the things that i do for the band but as far as the biz aspect of it i kind of don't miss it because um you know stuff like publishing and you know royalties and you know dealing with like pr and all that sort of stuff is not really you know in my, consistent with my nature i think sure yeah that is um it's cool that you've had both those experiences, you know, where you can, and honestly, uh, that you can have the experience and kind of relinquish control. Cause I know a lot of people that come from that, you know, DIY world once it, even if it gets to a point where it's like, Oh, like, I don't know what I'm, I'm doing. And I, I need other people to help from you know management and booking and everything. Sometimes it's hard to like, let those reins go in a way, you know, like, did you have difficulty doing that? Or was it pretty easy once you found people you trusted? Once, well, there was a period when we had someone that I didn't trust at all to handle that stuff, and that was a problem. Sure, sure. And uh, and that was like a very brief period of transition uh, when we were going from not having management into having our current manager, Mark Vieira, who's great. Um, and you might know Mark actually, but uh, yeah, yeah, great dude. Yeah, so you know him. And uh, but we had we had another manager in, in the interim before him, which was like making all the wrong decisions and didn't know like what was best for us and we were just the wrong type of band to be working with them and uh that kind of put me off to the whole idea for a while but then um i started realizing that there was opportunities and sort of business stuff that i just didn't have the aptitude to deal with you know what i mean like i don't it's a different language you know what i mean when you get to a certain level i'm sure you know this from when you worked this you know with the century media abacus thing it's like there are certain aspects of that, of the way business is done, that I just don't have the skills to manage the, those things. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have the background or the experience to do those things. And the guys like Mark do. So right. yeah. I'd rather, rather work with him than just make the wrong decisions. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. There definitely is, is aspects of it where when you are, you know, slowed down to be able to like explain something to a person, you know, that's when it's like, oh yeah, like something that is so second nature for someone who's existed in it for a long time, you know, you have to be like, oh yeah, that's right. Like not everybody knows this little, you know, dumb nuanced thing that only exists in this, you know, world. Yeah. And yeah, you're just, you know, you're not expected to know that until you actually encounter it. Right. And, and, you know, and back when, when we were working with like uh, the more very, very independent labels, those, those things weren't even factors, really. You know what I mean? It was like, sure, it's in a semantic way. We talked about things like that, but they weren't actual points of concern until you start doing things at a different level. And that's like when, you know, you need guys like Mark around to help you decipher it, you know, and, and then the added the added thing, too, is like I might he might after like two hours of just 
explaining it to me. I kind of understand what he's saying. Then I have to explain it to the other guys in the band. So it's like <laughs> totally. Yeah, you're like now I just I just copy everyone. You know, forward his his explanation and call it a day. So <laughs> totally, you're like I I don't I barely understand this. It's the blind leading the blind. If I'm you know playing the game of telephone, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and and kind of on that same tip, um, you know, since you've experienced touring of a you know a variety of different levels. Um, you know, of course, like as you join more professional, you know, package tours where, you know, you have um, like, oh, wow, like I have a writer and like, you know, there's actually going to be like, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at a venue or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, how, um, you know, do you, uh, I guess you still enjoy touring is a simple way of asking it. Or is that, um, has your experience kind of evolved over time to where you're comfortable with certain aspects of it, but then there's other aspects that you're just not a fan of? No, I love touring in general. Uh, the one thing I don't like, though, is if it's poorly planned. I mean, because you know, once once you start seeing how things could be, and you know, it's sort of. And I'm not saying there's got to be. You know, we got to play like Urban Plaza every night. But I mean, you know, once you you enjoy a certain level of uh, professionalism, you know, and I, I, and once again, it's got nothing to do with how many people show up. I'm saying that like things are in order, things make sense. There's no surprises like everyone's on the same page like just those basics which you know i'm sure you know fall through the cracks sometimes um like that's the only real thing that i i I like that i like that requirement to be in place before we go out and do shows i don't want to show up and it's like oh well you know i thought we were doing this you know it's like i like when things are in order and once things are in order then everything else is cool and once again like being able to go out and play every night, uh, I feel fortunate to still be able to do it and still have people care, you know, and still have people enjoy what I'm doing creatively at this stage of my life too. And, uh, you know, and also the opportunity to do that is just a way of fully expressing like what I'm trying to do. You know, I mean, we just had a whole thing get canceled, which we were supposed to leave for tomorrow. And, um, I found out on Monday and, uh, we were supposed to be touring with this band bloodbath and, uh, it's just a short run of dates, but they couldn't get into the country through some, and I don't know why, but it was some visa issue. So Monday I found out that this tour is, uh, was shot. It's done. So we're not doing it. And, uh, you know, once again, it was like the idea of being to go out and fully express your, yourself as, you know, in a way that's purely what you want to do with yourself is like, that's what I look at playing live is. It's like a hundred percent pure expression and you're really that's you're being you, you know, and to have that opportunity to do that over a number of nights for a period of time, I think is uh, it's like a privilege that, you know, a lot of times like people get jaded about that stuff. It's like, oh, man, you know, you know six weeks, you know, it's too long. I want to go home. It's like, all right, cool. But you get to go out and do these things and not everyone else does. And you're in this small percentage of bands that actually are able to go out and not lose money and you know, maybe make a little bit of money at the back end. And that, that's a huge accomplishment, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people do, like you, you know, you said you, it's, it's easy to get to the kind of the jaded, you know, whatever using, you know, the, the, the lunch pail analogy that we've used before where it's like, yeah, showing up to work and like, yeah, you know, like there's a lot of waiting around on tour and blah, blah, blah. And there's only, you know, you're on stage for 30 to 45 minutes at the most, but you know, that, um, that experience, that visceral experience, like you said, is kind of the truest form of expression that, you know, people in bands can have. And I think once that, once you maybe lose that perspective is when it does like fully become a job in like the worst sense of the term where you're just doing, you know, you're going through the motions as opposed to like actually settling on that experience. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's like, it's, it's a good thing, you know, and I I don't think I'll ever get tired of that. Or, you know, it's, you know, it's just taxing physically and emotionally, you know, but it's like, it's, uh, if you believe that you're here to do that, then you should do that at, at any expense. really. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the, um, you know, since you have, you know, traveled in, you know, many different, uh, areas of, uh, you know, expertise from, you know, the, the jujitsu you do and, you know, a, a lot of different intersecting interests, you know, people know you for certain things. And, you know, I'm sure the people that, you know, know you, you know, at the gym 
and then, you know, find out you're in a band probably have a certain conception of what that actually, you know, means where it's like, like, Oh, you're in a band. Like, Oh, so you're playing to like a thousand people a night riding around on buses and stuff. It's like, well, (laughs) you know, no, that's not the case. But, but at the same time, like, or not the same time, but like, I, I, I look at the way that you describe, you know, just playing on stage and like the, the sort of workmanship that you put into the music that you create. Um, it seems to me that it's like, you know, even at your earliest inception of creating music, it's always really been a craft to you. Like, uh, you know, cause some people are like, Oh, this is like, I have to get this out of me. And like, there's that, um, you know, innate sense of, uh, expression that exists, but like you have that, but then you also have the fact of like, no, like I need to put in the work in order to be able to do this. Like ha- has that always existed or has that evolved kind of over time as you've, um, you know, been able to express yourself in different ways musically? I just think that that comes from like, uh, I know it sounds like a very uncool thing to say, but it's like that comes from playing sports and doing things like wrestling and, you know, and studying kickboxing and stuff like that. It's just like, you know, the repetition like leads to expression in a lot of ways. I mean, when you, you know, I'm going to use this analogy, I might lose some people here, but it's like, yeah, you go to the gym and you train like certain combinations, you know, like jab, cross, low kick or whatever. You do that for thousands of repetitions so that when you're in a sparring match, you actually can use that flawlessly and express yourself freely in that way. So I think that like for me, the hours that I put by myself, like playing guitar, like, you know, for example, like this past Saturday, I spent easily 12 hours like <laughs> working on this demo of a song that a brand new song and, but it's the repetition of constantly doing something and going back to it and putting in those, those logging in those hours and the inspiration arises from that. It's not like, you know, I mean, maybe this is for different for everyone else. It's like, I don't wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, Oh yeah, there's this you know, riff. I'm going to give me like my guitar. It's like everything that I've done comes from just like hours of just sitting there doing doing something over and over and over again and then my mind will click into some pattern or some kind of melody or something like that or some hook and that's how for me the songs get written and like i said it all comes down to this kind of brute force like uh repetitive you know workman-like kind of thing you know it's like i guess guys who like you know build statues or whatever out of steel like probably do it that way i don't know it's like well no i was i was actually i was going to interrupt you and say that's like exactly what it 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 sounds like because i think i think you know most people that are creative kind of view it in the same way where it's like you know tabula rasa blank slate you know piece of granite however you want to view it but like yeah it is that sort of you know chipping away and then eventual edification of that thing it's like the only way that you can do it is through that you know quote unquote manual labor yeah, you know, and, and also I know like one of my good friends, Thomas Hooper, you know, who's done artwork for all of our full length releases. And, you know, he's he's a sought after tattoo artist and a, and a fine artist and, you know, in, incredible painter. And I know that Thomas, I know the hours that he puts into making paintings is similar to the way I approach doing music. I know that he's an early riser. Like I, he and I have texted each other at like 6 a.m., you know, so I know that he gets up early. And I know that he's at his studio early in the morning before he goes to do his job, which is to tattoo people, you know. And uh, and I know that he's putting in time sketching and working on different – like everything that he's done, there's like an evolution from like a blank page to like a series of treatments and like sketches. And that's, you know, pretty much how I approach songwriting. It's like there's fragments here and there and just different patterns and maybe like a drum – pattern that i did in like uh you know logic or something like that that turns into a song eventually but it's never like this fully formed complete inspiration there's no muse for me there's no like meditation on the moon or anything like that it's like it's always just like from brute force repetition that's how i accomplish all this stuff sure sure um, and, and the last thing I wanted to hit on was exactly kind of along those same lines, you know, the fact that you do, you know, the Savage Gold Coffee and, you know, your, uh, the podcast, like the everything went black. Um, you know, it, it seems like logical extensions of what you're talking about, the kind of, you know, drive and the, you know, the, the unfinished art <laughs> and pieces of yourself that you want to, uh, you know, leave behind. Um, 
you, you know, part of it is that, but then I'm sure also part of it is the, the notion of just like the, you know, sort of New York city hustle that needs to happen in order to, you know, make ends meet because, you know, living in a, uh, a city like, you know, New York, uh, costs a lot of money. Um, you know, so is it, uh, is it kind of a combination of, of both of those things or it just happens to be that they kind of both visions can coincide there? Um, I think that like, honestly to take getting letting go of all this stuff and doing like some straight job like which i've had before in the past would have been an easier route for me but um you know i think that it's the desire to get all these things done and it ties back to my fear of dying without doing all these things is that's what's sort of the motivator for all this uh you know trying to get all this stuff done all, all the little things that i wanted to do in my life i like want to i want to lay my head down for the final time and, and know that I've at least tried to do all that stuff, you know, at varying degrees of success or failure. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that. I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, these, these things I'm, I'm putting out, whatever they may mean, it's, um, you know, it, it, not only is it connected, but then there's that, that logical extension of the expression of yourself. You know, it's like, this is just yeah. a different version of expressing myself. And, um, you know, mo- on, on the surface, you know, many people would probably not be able to be like, oh, yes, like uh, aggressive, you know, uh, black metal influenced, uh, you know, <laughs> aggressive music and coffee go hand in hand. But, you know, if you just do a little looking, I'm sure you can see the the obvious connections there. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I was thinking about this this morning. It's like the last few days I've been feeling a little bit under the weather. You know, just I don't know, like the weird weather that's going on here out on the East Coast or. I don't know. Maybe I shook hands with somebody who was infected with something. I don't know. But like, but um, this morning I woke up and I, and I've been sort of issuing my normal black coffee with uh, you know butter and MCT oil, which I usually start the mornings off with. And today I tried it out. I got back into that program, and I tell you what, man, I felt like my brain fired, and you know I felt more energetic, and you know it's. It's like the, the 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 coffee is is like this kind of it's a drug definitely for sure. It's like it's like a PED. It's like a performance enhancing drug for me. You know, right. it's like something that like it's like for me instead of taking steroids, I drink coffee. So it helps me get everything over the fence. So it, to what you said, it makes sense if I were to have a coffee company. You know? Right? No, I I do. I, well, I I do appreciate that that look because it's like. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 37 years old and straight edge myself. And so like I, 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 but I only started drinking coffee, honestly, like maybe seven or eight years ago. And it was because the sheer function of just like, I don't have any quote unquote vice. And I'm like, I feel like coffee is like, you know, a harmless vice. And like, I feel, yeah. but, but to your point, it's like, oh yeah. Like if I don't have, you know, a coffee until like 9am, I'm like, oh man, this feels like a weird day. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And it, it if you view it as such, like I really, <laughs> I love the PED scenario. It's like, that's such a, such a funny way of looking at it, but it's true. Yeah. But I'm, do you actually enjoy the taste of it or is it just functional for you? No, I, I do enjoy the taste of it. I mean, I do like, I can drink it, you know, with almond milk, I can drink it, you know, black or whatever. So like I'm, but I'm not, um, you know, well-versed as far as like the, you know, a, a nutty oak aftertaste or any of the ways that, I mean, I know that's how people describe wine, but <laughs> I'm not well-versed. I, I know good coffee when I taste it, but I'm definitely not yeah. the, the, um, you know, the nuanced, uh, person that you, you, you being a purveyor of coffee will be able to be like, oh yes, like. I noticed the difference between this, you know, trash cup of Seven Eleven coffee and you know something that not e- not even is just like more expensive, but like that there's more uh, thought put into the brew. Do you um are you vegan or are you do you get into dairy at all? I I, I am vegan, so I've done. I mean, I've done like the whole you know the uh, earth balance in there and stuff like that. I mean, it feels like I'm drinking a shake. It's crazy, but <laughs> I'm going to make a recommendation. Please, right? I would love it. Try coconut milk in your coffee. Okay. And, and put it in a blender and make like a, it's like, it's like making a latte. Right. And you have that first thing in the morning, man. And it supercharges your morning, dude. I'm telling you. Okay. You know, the, the brand, the, um, you know, the, the saturated fat from the coconut oil, that's like an excellent healthy fat. And that it sort of, uh, time releases the, uh, the caffeine over the course of the morning. So you have this nice mellow energy boost that takes you right until noon. Highly recommend that. That's how I do it. Okay. I, I, I like to hear that. Yeah, I've definitely, um, yeah, I usually just do, uh, you know, kind of your almond milk creamer or whatever. 
but and would you would you recommend that you kind of like you whip the coconut or you froth the coconut milk like before or do you do it like you know with basically you put the coffee and the coconut milk in the in the frother or stir or whatever you want to call it i put them together okay and then and then i just uh you know in in a blender i put it together and just like you know spin it and that's uh because you know the the oil the coconut oil the coconut milk is is a little bit harder to go into solution than like regular milk you know so Mm -hmm. um yeah just put it in there spin the uh the blender comes out nice and you know uniform right. and it's like literally like drinking a latte it's great okay great i will i will uh, i'll start to mess around with that and i'll let you know my results friend <laughs> yeah man definitely let me know let me know how it works out for you <laughs> yeah i will well mike this has been awesome i really appreciate it i knew it's gonna be a fun conversation because uh, right yeah, you're, uh you're, you're a smart guy and i appreciate the fact that you're uh, you're a smart guy <laughs> well, thanks a lot ray i appreciate you appreciating that <laughs> <laughs> that's good it's a mutual appreciation So that was Mr. Mike Hill. Thank you very much, Mike. And thank you very much, Grace, our mutual uh, friend slash my coworker for hooking us up. I always, uh, I just always appreciate when people think that they would enjoy this podcast experience and then they hop on the show and they do. And it's like, oh, this is great. It's an, it's a fun cycle of life in this, this show. So next week I have a great, great episode with uh, Christina from the band Gouge Away, who is an awesome hardcore band, just recently played Sound and Fury, toured the West Coast, coming out with a new record later this year. Uh, I got on with her very, very well. And uh, not like, I say that like I'm surprised. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I knew she was a, a nice individual because we have many mutual friends, but it was a great, great conversation uh, from a person who... Um, yeah, has put a lot of thought into playing in bands and kind of doing the art versus, uh, you know, living real life stuff. So that is next week. And uh, yeah, please, like I always say, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.